All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to SN Off the Shelf. Uh, Chloe Riley here, executive editor of Supermarket News. And today we're talking meat. Uh, we've got uh, the delightful Anne-Marie Roarink uh, joining us today from her firm, Tutan Analytics, uh, which has just released a couple of different uh, reports, great reports on meat that you'll want to check out in that category and what's going on. Uh, so, Anne-Marie, thank you so much for joining us today. All right. Thanks so much for having you. We can talk meat all day long, so we'll have to pick and choose wisely. <laughs> yeah, only the select cuts of the meat reports. That's right. Uh, always what we will be covering. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, okay, well, so, Amory, I know um, uh, something that definitely caught my eye about your recent um, Power of Meat report um, is that we're seeing that, you know, meat and de meat department sales, engagement, everything was very, very strong in 2022. Um, and I love this in the words of the report, meat is the most powerful of the fresh departments. Uh, so I feel like these are very strong words. Break this down for us. You know, what numbers, what are we seeing to sort of back, back that up? Yeah, so a number of different things. And we see this every month in the performance reports as well, right? Uh, but why is it the strongest? Well, if you look at all the perimeter departments, it is simply the biggest in sales in terms of the actual dollars compared to produce, compared to seafood, bakery, deli, etc. So from that perspective, it's powerful. The other reason, though, is most consumers in the U.S. have more than one choice when they decide to shop for groceries, depending on whether they shoot out of the neighborhood to the left or the right or whatever. Um, and when you ask them, what, how do you determine where you're going to buy for, where you're going to buy the most groceries or where you buy your meat or whatever? A lot of times, of course, the location is important, the price, the cleanliness. But as it relates to the department, you really see that meat hand in hand with produce are the two big departments that determine store choice. And because of the pressure on income, it really becomes meat more so because that produce dollar starts to disperse into frozen, into cans, etc. So it really is important for the total success of the store, because if you win with meat, it tends to then also win the rest of the basket. And that's why it's so important to make sure that you win in meat, not just for the success of the meat department, but really the success of the total store. And when you say win in meat, I think, I mean, I think I know what that means, but does it mean you want your, you want to have your sales driven by meat? Do you want to be seeing, your, you know, where do you want to see your meat break down versus fresh versus, you know, um, frozen or how to, you know, what does it mean to win in meat? So in my mind, it really means having that strong reputation, right? That if people think about a grocery store, there are several things that come to mind. Obviously, it can be 30 miles away when you have an option one or two miles away. So location, price, all these things are important. But ultimately, what really drives a lot of the decision is, is reputation. And that's really where it's so important to make sure that you're known for quality, for being in stock, for... Um, really being good value for the money. So it's not always about being the cheapest, but it's really about the value equation of price and quality service, um, having people available in case there are questions, et cetera. So winning in meat really means that people think of your store when they think about buying meat and poultry. And then with it, because it tends to be bought during the primary stock up trip so much, if you win that meat purchase, you tend to then also end up with the rest of the $90, $100 basket that people are spending on their primary trip these days. And so 
as a result, you know, when you win that meat purchase, you end up really driving the success of the total store. Oh, that's so interesting. So yeah, it just sounds like, um, it's really that, uh, it's, it's not necessarily like you're saying about price because, you know, there's, I mean, right. Like Walmart can probably kick your butt on the price. Um, it's really about that reputation of having the quality. Um, and then like you're saying when people are, uh, then when shoppers are making their decision to go, you know, do their weekly big, big shopping trip, um, then like you're saying, the winning at meat is really the using meat as the anchor to then really pull in the full basket sales, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's just very different pricing tactics out in the marketplace. To your point, Walmart is an everyday low price. So if you want to buy a little bit of everything and you're not really the person to spend a lot of time on researching specials, then yes, that's why we're seeing some of those value-driven channels such as Costco and Walmart winning in today's environment because they have that everyday low price sort of offering. Um, but where we really see supermarkets have a lot of strength is because of that high-low. If you are in the position to spend some time against uh, the ads or the apps or all the different forms of research that are out there these days, you and you're flexible in what you purchase, then there are certainly really good deals to be had in that supermarket channel. So that is one of the other things that we're seeing in today's environment. That is the fact that the, the dollar is just moving around more than we have seen in many, many years. And in a way, this was coming because when you ask shoppers, you know, what is your primary meat store? We've been doing that for many years. Uh, what we saw is that boomers uh, love traditional supermarkets, they love the full service counter, and that's where they spend the vast majority of their dollars. Now, if you look at where millennials in particular, being the next largest generation where they shop, there's a lot of love for Walmart, uh, super centers in general, Target, Costco, BJ, Sam's, etc., and an under-indexing for your traditional grocery store. So in a way, because of that demographic shift in spending, we knew there might be some dollars flowing to those value channels, the super centers and, and the clubs. But certainly inflation has sort of accelerated that whole process. And what we're looking at is depending on the category, frozen is a big one, for instance, we're seeing four or five percentage point shifts away from traditional grocery stores towards super centers, mass and online. And in meat, it's about two and a half percentage point. But, you know, if you figure you're talking about a $90 billion department, two and a half percentage shift is, is many, many millions of dollars. And that just means more difficult decisions on how to distribute, on, on who you are now competing with. How are you going to capture those shoppers that have started to shop elsewhere? So a lot happening in the meat department for sure. And so it sounds like from what I'm hearing you say that, um, you know, that the baby boomer generation, it sounds like they are more comfortable with like the full service with the more traditional supermarket setting. And it sounds like millennials are starting to, you know, go to the Costco's and um, yeah, who, who else? Who else did you mention in there? So we see uh, Target, Walmart, uh, Sam's, BJ's, okay, yeah. Super Centers, and clubs. And, you know, if you think about it, I love your word comfortable because the big difference between those two generations is comfortable with the types and cuts and kinds that you purchase. So we oftentimes see baby boomers be able to buy anything, experiment because they have that deep 
knowledge. Uh, they don't need all these rating systems because they just look at the cut themselves and decide if, if the marbling is what they're looking for. And among the younger generations, you see just a lot more uptick among those basic cuts. So your ground beef, your uh, chicken breast, um, your, you know, just all the very basic cuts. And that's why they're saying burgers and sausage. It doesn't matter where I buy it because I just buy my brand. And whether I buy Johnsonville brats at Walmart or I buy them at a supermarket, it's the mm. same thing. Um, so certainly mm. that means a lot of stores have the opportunity to really drive their private brand as a differentiated offering, um, have people out in the full service and the self-serve area to continue to talk to people, to continue to engage people. Um, because otherwise, you know, that new generation is going to continue to buy a very small select number of cuts. And we all know those are not the high margin cuts. Those are not the areas where you differentiate. Mm -hmm. um, so figuring out how you can continue to drive reputation and continue to engage with consumers despite not having a full service counter uh, and be case ready. You know, those are really important questions. Mm -hmm. So it sounds almost too like, um, you know, this is a, it sounds like it's a matter of, uh, especially in terms of kind of capturing the up and coming, capturing the millennials, maybe even capturing the generation underneath that. Um, it sounds like we're talking education, really maybe meeting those um, shoppers where they're at, maybe getting on, upping the social media game, um, you know, to, to try to do some of that education or try to try to capture some of that market. Yeah, I would agree. You know, I was talking to um, a whole group of millennials about the full service counter and several indicated that there was a little bit of a barrier in their mind to go and ask questions and really indicate, well, I know nothing, educate mm. me sort of thing, because they are more people that go on social media and get educated that way, perhaps. And then others said, well, I like the idea of somebody running around, so I don't need to chase anybody down. But at the same time, I don't want to be constantly bothered was the word. Uh, can I help you find something? Do you have questions? So, and this is difficult for retailers because if you think about the typical meat department personality, they, they are really more people that work in the back room and are not necessarily sales floor engaging type of people. In addition to the fact that it is hard to be a salesperson and that fine line between being a nuisance and being able to make an additional sale, um, but yes, we, that is something to figure out. How can you really be known for that, to have the meat reputation that is so important to, uh, to the total store success, but also maybe make some changes to the full service counter, be in case ready because, you know, the labor issues, they're real. The shrink issues are real. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure on consumers in terms of, of finances. Well, there's a lot of pressure on, on, retailers as well. So it's a very complex marketplace. Wow, Emory, you've given me so much to think about. I can't, I just feel like I can't wait to tune in with some, some grocers to see if, you know, what they're seeing around that role of the person at the full service meat counter um, and kind of if they're seeing some of the same things you're talking about uh, that we're just talking about right now. Um, I want to pivot over to, um, you know, private brand popularity, uh, reaching its highest point since 2007 that, you know, that feels sort of unsurprising to me, but, uh, tell me more about that. What are we seeing there? 
Yeah, I mean, to your point, we've seen private brands do extremely well during the recession of 08. Um, then brands came back a little bit, especially in meat. If you think about uh, the fact that organic and grass-fed, et cetera, grew bigger, well, a lot of those areas are branded areas. Um, but at the same time, yes, for everything conventional, that's where stores have started to create really big private brand programs. So really the only area that is left that is still highly branded is Turkey um, and that's and, and followed by chicken. But a lot of the areas, you know, the packages in the store are really largely private brands. So in a way it is depending on what is available in the store period. But then of course, yes, private brand purchasing has been one of the I would say second, third biggest ways in which consumers have been looking to save money over the last two years. Um, and certainly in center store, you know, there's always a big difference in the price per pound or, or the package price uh, between brand and, and private brand. And retailers have done a great job in, in sort of taking that popularity of that they and the trust that they've built up in center store and in frozen and taking that into areas like meat and produce where let's just say a, a retailer has either two or three tiers in their private brand. Well, they are now starting to drive that too in the meat department where maybe your, your prime steaks are your prime top tier versus choice is maybe the middle one. And so they've really made it easy for consumers to leverage the trust that they have in the consumer brand. And as such also really build a differentiated offering from one store to the other. Um, what can I, what, what, um, I want to switch over to kind of just home prepared dinners. What, you know, what role, I mean, to me, it seems like meat makes, you know, such sense in the, especially with the American mentality of, you know, meat is on the center of the plate and then you got the potatoes and the vegetables. So I would, I would assume that meat's doing just fine in home sort of prepared meals and dinners, but what are, what are we seeing there? Yeah, I mean, altogether, um, cooking more at home and eating less from restaurants, whether that's at restaurants or takeout delivery, is is one of the ways in which consumers are looking to save money. We see that every single month in our trend reports, uh, where we continue to see an elevated share of dinners and lunches and breakfasts consumed and prepared at home. So within it, we really continue to see historic levels of meat being part of those meals. And to your point, in part, it is just a culture. Americans are big meat eaters. But in part, too, you know, if you look at the type of diets that are popular, which is high protein, low carb, well, that favors meat and poultry. Um, but also, if you think about a sustained energy sort of meal where if there is a lot of pressure on the dollar and you want to save money, you know, one of the areas might be cutting back on snacking a little bit. So really having meals that sustain. And that, of course, comes from the protein. So looping back to our earlier point of the conversation, really the demand for meat and poultry has been strong. Yes, there's a little bit of unit and volume pressure. So we do see people wanting to stretch their meat dollars a little bit, maybe making uh, meals that have uh, meat as an ingredient versus a center of plate. That's something that we see in the recessions as well. Um, but there's really not been a big drop in people that uh, start preparing meals that do not contain a portion of, of meat, or I should say not, not seen an increase in that. Um, I mean, there are certainly people that integrate meatless meals, either from a health perspective or a cost perspective, but that's really nothing new. So we've not seen a big spike in that. 
Um, but it's really where some really interesting changes are happening is in how people are preparing it and where they're getting their inspiration. And, and that, I think, can be a, a huge driver for retailers to think about for the future. Yeah, I always, Emery, you're such a proponent of, I feel like I always see the word air fryer when in your reports and when you're talking and it just totally resonates with me because I feel like I don't even own an air fryer and I feel so sold on wanting to get one generally that I'm assuming that other consumers must feel the same way or I know m multiple friends of mine that have have them and I've you know tasted the results and they're extremely delicious so um it sounds like I'm hearing you say we, grocers should be tapping into more of the you know, what are the tools people are using to prepare the meat and then uh, market that way as well? Is that right? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, if we think about it, virtually everybody, of course, has a stove and an oven, right? And and that continues to be a big part of preparing meat. But at the same time, um, I'll, I'll give an example. I was interviewing consumers and one of them lived in a small uh, apartment in the heart of Washington, D.C., and both her and her husband worked from home. Somebody gave her a sous vide for Christmas. She absolutely did not want it because she has a small apartment and did not want the space. But then she tried it once and realized that unlike a slow cooker where you sit and smell the meal the entire day, in the sous vide, she could plop the meat in at lunchtime. It would sit and cook, but there wasn't that smell all day long working from home. And she now is absolutely in love with Suvita and her other contraption of choice is the Instant Pot. So, you know, and then you think about packaging, you think about all that packaging that is sitting in the deli, as well as the meat department that is microwave ready or oven ready, et cetera. And so it is really the innovations in appliances, in packaging um, that is driving some of the change. And it's important to keep uh, track of that. And, and for instance, if you go to Google Trends, right, to see what people search for. I recently did a search and I realized that salmon was in the top 10 searches relative to air fryer three times. So of course that meant I had to go buy salmon that day and try it out. But we also saw sausage sitting in there. We also saw chicken wings sitting in there. This was right around the Super Bowl. Um, so yes, there is a big opportunity for retailers to just, you know, slap a quick reminder on there, but also more than anything, being part of people's inspiration, I think is so important. You know, when they walk into that store and you're not quite know what's for dinner or when they're in the app looking for specials, how amazing would it be that they're not just cherry picking the meat special but really immediately have a meal in mind and pick up all those different items that go along with that meal. But yes, that makes so much sense to me. And um, I, it's funny, Emery, that your friend did not want to be smelling the meat all day because I have the opposite experience. I love smelling the meat all day. I love the <laughs> the experience of the slow cooker. So this is very strange to me, but, you know, teach their own. Um, any uh any final growth trend predictions for meat uh, looking ahead as we go through the rest of 2023 here, Emery? Yeah, I think the uh, the age of case ready has really arrived. Um, and I think we're going to continue to see more pop up in that self-service case. I think there are going to be more retailers either reducing the footprint of the food ser full service counter or taking it out altogether. I think we're going to see more um, sides and other items move into the meat department. So, and th this is maybe more of a hope than a reality, but 
you know, people don't really think in their silos as door shopping. And the more we can really merchandise and solutions and for years, we've been seeing things like uh, mashed potatoes and, and uh, macaroni and cheese sides do really, really well in the meat department. Why not bring some of the deli sides that you have in the store into the meat department? Um, and in terms of meal kits, I think uh, we're going to see those disappear in favor of meal components. So very easily mix and match um, so that people have more flexibility. Uh, but I, I absolutely believe that the demand for meat is going to continue to be strong. A lot of focus on affordability, a lot of focus on, you know, just really flavor, because that was, I think, the biggest takeaway of them all. What gets you to buy a cut of meat again? It's got to taste good. And, you know, that is a really big lesson as we all focus on antibiotic free and grass fed and humanely raised. Well, at the end of the day, still has to taste good. And that is something that I think retailers have a huge opportunity to highlight. Mm, that's great. I taste meat tasting good. And I'm also going to uh, hang on to uh, your thought about meal kits transitioning away and uh, kind of more flexible sides, maybe transitioning in. Um, I think that's a very interesting idea. We'll, we'll keep an eye out for um, maybe that trend to switch over. Um, wonderful. Uh, Emory, I was going to say, what's the best way for our listeners to, uh, to find all of your reports? You know what? In my complicated last name, I always say, find me on LinkedIn. That's the easiest way to go about it. In Emory Roaring, R-O-E-R-I-N-K. And I'm always posting on something grocery related. So find me there and uh, always happy to share. Wonderful. And I have always I said this before, I'll say it again. If you haven't seen Emery's reports, go check them out now. They're totally delightful. They're smart. They're witty. They're bite-sized. Um, really, really sharp, categorical uh, takeaways and uh, and a delight to read. Um, Emery, thanks so much again for taking time uh, to come uh, break down trends and meet with us today. I think, and thanks for joining us today. Can't wait to have you back. All right. Thanks so much for having me and I uh, look forward to it. 